So I was at a football game, I was at a high school football game recently, and I entered in to the stadium on the field level, and then I was walking towards the stands and looking for a place to sit, and as I was climbing up the stands, kind of navigating the, the aluminum steps and stepping around people's stadium seats and over people's blankets, I was greeting people that I, that I knew and that I recognized, kind of a high how are you? Good to see you. Hey, it's been a long time. And this one person, I kind of walked past, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And she said, I'm hopeful. And, and I, it's, so when, when I hear this, two things happen. First, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued, right? I'm interested. And, and, and so I stop, my, my movement slows, and, and suddenly the greeting is not just a greeting. Now it becomes a conversation. And the second thing I do is I ask a question. A second question, right? First question was, how are you? And she says she's hopeful. And so um, my second question is, of course, well, why are you hopeful? Right. And uh, her response was specific, but it followed a pattern that you're all very familiar with. It goes like this. It's been hard. It looks bad. But something good is about to happen, right? It's been hard, past tense. It looks bad right now, present tense. But I just saw a sign that something's about to change, and now I'm feeling like it's going to get better. I'm hopeful. Today begins this Christian season called Advent. It's a distinctly Christian season, and by that I mean the only reason to celebrate Advent is to celebrate Jesus it's also a distinctly hopeful season, and I'll be preaching five uh, times this month, four on Sundays, and then a short sermon on Christmas Eve here, all about being hopeful. And I believe we need this personally, and I believe we need this corporately, and I believe that our being hopeful, not, not superficially positive, okay, not like shallowly optimistic but honest about the brokenness that's all around us, but also hopeful about the future, this is one of the most powerful ways we can be a faithful, we being the church, can be a faithful presence to the culture at this time. Right. Having a real substantive hope, being hopeful people. By almost all accounts, this is not a time in our culture when people are feeling very hopeful. Therefore, it's a great opportunity for the church to offer real hope substantive hope. Give me a reason to hope. So important that followers of Jesus are authentically hopeful. Maybe not even happy, but hopeful. Amen? Amen. By the way, we've prepared this reading list, this Advent reading list, um, to be used by us together in this season. Um, it pulls scriptures from um, an old a reading list of scriptures called the Revised Common Lectionary. It's been used around the world for hundreds of years. And uh, I want to encourage us to, to use these readings together over the next three and a half weeks or so. As you know, I've been studying stability this year. One of the 
uh, ways you can build stability into a family, one of the ways you can build stability into a church or any kind of a community or even a neighborhood is through shared practices. And so I want to invite us into the shared practice for the next 23 days of reading these scriptures together, not just any scriptures, but these specific scriptures, so that we will be formed together by the message of these scriptures. And the cool thing is it's not just we who will be formed by these scriptures, but there's Christians all over the world who are following the same reading pattern, and so we'll be joined with a larger Christian community around the world who are being formed by these specific scriptures. And what you will see in these is this general theme of hope, this general theme of hope. So in addition to daily readings, looks like typically two or three daily readings, um, I will also be preaching out of the gospel reading appointed for that Sunday, which is an interesting challenge. It's kind of like, here's your assignment, preach on this. All right, so we'll give that a shot. So today's gospel reading is out of the Gospel of Luke, verse, or chapter 21. Jesus is midway through this big section of teaching in Luke, and there's a ton of context here, and there's not time to really explain it all. So very simply put, here's the summary. Jesus is talking to his disciples about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the destruction of the whole world. It's a very cheerful topic for a Sunday afternoon or a conversation in Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples are walking past this Jewish temple, the temple in Jerusalem, and his disciples start admiring how beautiful it is, admiring the stones worked into the workmanship, the donations of great value hanging from the walls, and Jesus' response to all of their admiration is, it's all going to burn. Yeah, it's not even, not even a single stone will be left on top of another. And then he launches into this fully frightening description of not just the destruction of the temple, but the persecution of Christians and the destruction of the world as we know it. And we'll just read a little bit of this, starting in verse 25 of chapter 21, page 735 now. Jesus says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place... Stand up, lift your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So our Advent series this year is called Hopeful, and today I want to talk to you about the anticipation of hope. In this text, Jesus is telling his disciples some of the most intimidating information you can imagine. Jesus is revealing these overwhelming realities, the destruction of of the temple, the destruction of the Jewish uh, land, worldwide war, violent persecution, but then woven into this apocalyptic announcement is the anticipation of hope. What do we mean by the word anticipation? Word is first used in English in 1530. It's a bit of a mashup between the prefix ante, meaning before, 
and a Latin root from which we get our word participate. And so to anticipate is to participate in something before it actually happens. Or an old definition has it like this, to cause to happen sooner. Or another is to take possession beforehand. So if I'm anticipating the pecan rolls that my mom makes every Christmas morning, I am actually beginning to enjoy and taste them before I take my first bite, right? I am taking possession beforehand. I am causing it to happen sooner. So to anticipate hope is to participate in hope before the hopeful thing actually takes place. It's to anticipate hope, is to, is to cause hope to happen sooner. It's to take possession of hope beforehand. It's to begin to experience the emotional effects of hope before the reason for your hope actually takes place. So I begin to be hopeful beforehand. So the disciples of Christ, they're admiring the impressive beauty of the temple, and Jesus responds by saying, and here I'm paraphrasing, it's all going to be destroyed. Nations are going to be in anguish. People are going to faint with terror. And, but then when you see all these signs all around you, you will know that hope is on the way. You can anticipate hope. You can participate in, you can actually be characterized by hope. You can actually be hopeful before the hopeful event even takes place. In other words, you can be like the parent at the football game. It's been really hard. It looks really bad. But I'm hopeful right? I'm anticipating hope. Something is happening. My outlook on what's happening now is changing because of something that actually hasn't even happened yet, but I'm anticipating it will happen. And my anticipation of this is what is changing what's going on inside me. I'm already experiencing the effects of what is about to take place. Hey, how's it going? How are you? I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Friends, we need this so badly. Do we not? Our culture needs this so badly. Not empty, wishful thinking, not this sappy, vacuous, hallmark card sentimentalism. Blah, none of that. We don't need that. We need actual, substantive hope. So here's the message for today. It's very simple. It's easy to point to reasons to despair. It's easy to see all kinds of reasons to be discouraged. There are plenty of examples of brokenness all around us. But Jesus invites us to look to the future with hope. The Christian can anticipate hope. And the reason is very simple. Jesus is coming. That's why. Jesus 
is coming. That's the reason. It's one reason, and Jesus actually stretches it out and kind of amplifies it a bit and says it in three different ways in the few verses that we covered in order to more fully communicate, I think, the significance of that one simple reality that he's coming. So let me comment briefly on these three ways that Jesus sort of amplifies the, the reason for hope being his coming. First, we can anticipate hope because Jesus is coming with power and great glory. This is what he says in verse 27. Jesus, Jesus says, At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So when the disciples of Jesus hear this phrase, immediately two things uh, come to their minds. First, the phrase, the Son of Man coming in a cloud, is a quote that Jesus just lifts right out of Daniel in the Old Testament scriptures. And they probably would have been familiar with this because it was a big, epic uh, prophecy about the coming Messiah who would rescue them. Daniel is writing while, while the people of, of um, Israel are in exile in Babylon. It is not a happy time. So Daniel is writing and he's saying, I have this vision of the rescuer, of the Messiah, and he's coming. And it's something like a son of man, and he's coming in a cloud. So Jesus' disciples would have been familiar with this image. Jesus quotes it and says, I'm that guy. Okay, it's me. I'm that guy. And then secondly, Jesus' disciples would have heard him contrasting his first coming, his first advent as a poor, vulnerable baby, with this idea that he's coming back again, a second advent when he's going to come with great power and glory. So Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, you can anticipate hope because I'm coming again. And the time when I come again, I'm coming in great power and glory. This time I came in simplicity, humility, poverty to communicate to you that I am human. And when I come back, I'm going to come in great power and glory and you will know that I am God. So they're hearing this, and this is what they're thinking. And then there's a second reason um, that Jesus gives for why we can anticipate hope. That's the first reason I'm coming, like the Son of Man, or as the Son of Man, uh, coming from a cloud. And here's the second reason, verse 28. Jesus gives a second way that his coming is reason to anticipate hope. Your redemption is drawing near, he says. So he's 28 verses into this really terrible description of wars and suffering, and chaos, 28 verses into this. And then he says, but when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. In other words, you're about to be rescued. You're about to be saved. See all this craziness all around you? This, this is real brokenness. The pain you're experiencing legitimate, real pain. But this is also a sign that your reason for hope is coming near. Right? Even in the brokenness, you can anticipate hope. The reality of your redemption drawing near is actually, friends, it's, it's more radical than we can comprehend. It is more powerful than we can comprehend. For example, if you have your Bibles, look up to verse 16 of this chapter. Look at verse 16 of this chapter. I'll read it for you who don't. Jesus is part of that big, long rant of how terrible everything is going to be. He says this, verse 16, You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, 
and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Verse 17, everyone will hate you because of me. Verse 18, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm, you'll win life. What? I'm, I'm thinking, what? In one sentence, Jesus says, they will put some of you to death, and two sentences later, but not a hair on your head will perish or be utterly destroyed. How does that work? Resurrection. That's, what, that's how that works. Resurrection, the actual resurrection of the body, which has been a core foundational Christian belief since the beginning. Not a fairy tale, not dudes on clouds. The physical resurrection of the body, real and complete. Again, paraphrasing, some of you are going to lose family. Some of you are going to lose um, loved ones. You're going to be hated. Some of you are going to be killed. But it's just temporary. It all gets restored. Your redemption is drawing near. Not even a hair on your head will utterly be lost and destroyed. Jesus' view of death, it's just remarkably temporary. It's just astoundingly temporary. So that moment at the bedside as you're watching your loved one take their last breath, suffering, broken body, confused mind, everything's dark, you can anticipate hope in that moment. Do you know why? Because their redemption is near, right? And all that is being lost right before you is going to be restored. Jesus says we can anticipate hope. Why? Because he's coming in power and glory. Secondly, our redemption is near. In other words, this affects us on an incredibly intimate, personal level. He's talking about hair on your head. Personal. And then a third reason, in verse 31, the kingdom of God is near. That is a third way that Jesus coming back, Jesus amplifies that simple truth, I'm coming back, uh, as, as another way that this should cause us to anticipate hope. In other words, all things will be restored to their created purpose. All things will be put back together again. All the brokenness, not just my own brokenness now, not just my personal brokenness, but social brokenness, things like racism and prejudice and poverty, food shortage, environmental brokenness, things like disease and pollution. It all gets, it all gets uh, made right again because the kingdom of God is near. Everything will be put back the way it was supposed to be. The reason we can actually be hopeful is because Jesus is coming again. And maybe that's a phrase that has been stereotyped to the degree that it no longer moves you. It reminds you of something that's sort of snarky or cheap or plastic. Jesus is coming again. But here's what he means when he says that. Power and glory. Personal redemption of your soul and your body, and the restoration of all creation. That's what Jesus means when he says, I'm coming back again. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, my dad, my brother, a brother-in-law, and my older son, we went to see Creed II, which is part of the Rocky story that has been happening 
since I was about three years old, like for 40 years, right? This big epic narrative um, that sort of characterized, been one of the bigger stories that our culture has told in the last few decades. It was a great movie. I really enjoyed it. Great storytelling. The crazy thing is that uh, the plot line for Creed 2 is really similar to Creed 1, which is really similar to the last Rocky movie, which is similar to the Rocky movie before that, <laughs> similar to the Rocky before that. It's the same narrative, right? It's the same story, different uh, details, different little twists of plot, different opponent, but basically the same uh, story every time. And what you know, if you've seen even one of the Rocky movies or one of the Creed movies, is that when things look like they cannot get any worse... Right? He lost the first fight. He lost respect. He's depressed. Nobody watches him anymore. Right? He's, he's no confidence. Everybody's doubting him. He's back down at the bottom. The opponent looks like he's going to kill him. Right? The viewer knows, that's okay, because these are all just signs. Right? These are all just signs that things are going to turn in a dramatic fashion back to the, like the, the real deal. Right? He's bloody in the corner. Can't see out of his eyes. They're swollen shut. Should we stop the fight? Should we stop the fight? And you're like, this can't get... And you, you get drawn... It's such good storytelling. You get drawn in. You're like, oh, maybe they should stop the fight. But then you're like, no, these are just signs, right? These are just signs. And then the bass note hits, and you're like, ah, oh, and he gets to look in his eye, right? Eye of the tiger. And he gets up, and he just like goes to town, and it's the restoration of all things right there. It just takes it... Um, right? Yeah, right? You recognize it. You begin, what happens is this. You begin to anticipate hope. I mean, you hear me? It all looks terrible. He just looks, he just looks terrible. Um, and, but, but you see, this is what happens right before it gets good. And you know that because you've seen 12 movies like this, right? You know it. So you begin to anticipate. You begin to shift or sense the shift of momentum. You hear the music subtly change and now you know that victory is really it's it's really coming close it's been bad the whole movie right you look around right now it does not look good but these are the signs and you know something good is about to happen so you anticipate hope it's a familiar pattern it's a classic formula it's worked for Sylvester Stallone over and over and over again but maybe it's Maybe it's more than just a cool story that he's figured out. Maybe he's tapped into a narrative that's like baked into the creation of the world. Uh, maybe there's something true about this essential storyline um, that communicates something deeper to us. Finally, let me just push this to a place of application. I think it could be easy to hear a message like this and, and uh, assume that the takeaway is just wait and don't despair. But it's so much better than that and more concrete than that. It can be challenging um, to know how on a practical level to be hopeful. I, I recognize that. And it might not be very helpful for me to just say, you should be hopeful because maybe you're just not feeling hopeful. But in this teaching, Jesus actually does call us to action and there are three that I hope we can be honest and hopeful about. Uh, let me just quickly touch on these. First, recognize what lasts and what doesn't. That is, a, that is an actual action step you can take out of this text. This is what Jesus is doing when he's walking around and his, and his disciples are admiring the temple. Um, so this is, the temple is temporary. The temple 
The purpose of the temple is to point to the real presence of God, who is Jesus, and his disciples are walking around with the presence of God going, woo, look at the building, right? So the, the challenge is to recognize what is temporary and what lasts. And this is so important because if there's confusion about what matters most, about what lasts, it's very hard to be hopeful. If you're confused about what is lasting and what is temporary, really hard to be hopeful. If your reason for hope, in other words, is how well your team is doing or how much money is in the bank or even how well your family is getting along with one another in this specific season in your life, you are signing up for a roller coaster ride. The action step is to recognize the difference between what is lasting and what is temporary. You need a permanent source of hope. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He says in verse 34, be careful. Your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, the anxieties of life. And then on that day, that day will close on you like an unexpected trap. He wants us to recognize what lasts and what doesn't. Second way to act in response to this call to be hopeful is to read the signs. Recognize that signs point to something bigger. Signs point to something more. It can be really easy to get just sucked right into the drama, sucked right into the conflict, sucked right into the argument or the confusion of the moment. Sometimes I'll be feeling great, and all it takes is for me to just glance at my email or the news, and I get sucked right into this dark place, right? I need to read the signs. When I'm driving on the road and I see a sign that says road closed ahead, I don't panic. I don't go into this dark place. I go, hmm, that's interesting. And I formulate a plan. I I create a response to that. Uh, And I think that I need to do that in other parts of my life. Sometimes I'll hear conflict happening in the kids' room, and I don't even blink. I just rush in there, and I raise my voice, and I start indiscriminately disciplining people, right? (laughs) Grounding everyone, right? (sighs) I need to slow down. I need to go, hmm, that sounded like uh, something got ripped off the wall. That's interesting. And form a response, right? Come in there, read the signs. Because why? Because something bigger is happening. Something more is taking place. What's behind that thing that's just chaos in the middle of your life right now? What's, really, what's the thing behind that thing? Jesus calls us to read the signs. Hmm, that's interesting. Boy, that hurts, but that's interesting. Right. And then finally... Third action step, recommit to standing firm. Recommit to standing firm. This is stability. This is, Jesus says this in verse 28. When things begin, when these things, all these signs begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Maybe you're not feeling hopeful today. That's okay. You gotta be honest in order for this to be helpful. But here's what you can do, even if you're not feeling hopeful. You can recognize what lasts and what doesn't. You can read the signs. Don't get sucked in. These are symptoms. What's the real issue? 
and you can recommit to standing firm. I feel hopeless. Okay. You can stand firm. You can choose stability. You can choose to remain. Let's stand firm. Lift up your head. Lift up your head. Friends, Advent's a season of reflection, and that reflection often brings despair. But for those who place their trust in Christ, this can be a hopeful season, a time when we focus our reflection on the anticipation of the hope that is to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.